Let's go. All right. Hey, Facebook world, welcome. You're part of this class, too. Probably nobody's watching right now because you have to see and eventually come on, but you're replaying it. So we love you.
So I, I want you guys to extend hands. Let's lay hands on this book. She's been touched by it. I want to lay hands on this book and believe that even when he opens it, he's going to be touched. Yeah. And know that there's something. Like as soon as he sees it, the title, yeah. and even more so when he dives in. Wow. This is awesome. Okay, so who wants to pray for this? Come on, you all want to do it. Stand up, extend your hands. Someone's got to be dying to lay hands on this book and pray for her. Because they're going to see a miracle. Your dad is going to catch this and he's just going to be on fire. Rosie is. There you go. Oh, yes, because Rosie's the one who's believing for her family to be transformed. And they already are. Okay, all right. Let's all lay hands on this book.
see this change in your family, I, this is the real deal. Alright? So here, come on. We're going to pray even more. Stand up again. Extend your hands. Come on. We're all praying. We're believing that this little seed is just going to be a gush. Hallelujah. Dear Lord in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for today, for Joshua, that he has shared, God, with his family and the climate has been changing. And God, you have all the power. Right now, we pray that you will give him more and more, and the Holy Spirit will be upon the family, and that everything will change, and they will see the Lord, and they will praise you, and will live a life with all the fruitness, Lord. Thank you, bearing the fruit, Lord. Hallelujah. We bless uh, Joshua, too, Lord, to go out and be a warrior for you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Great, 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 great. Okay, anybody else have a testimony? Come on up. Um, can you start with the camera? <laughs> yeah, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Pick another sensitive stuff. Are you Is it sensitive? Well, you want to turn off the camera? Yeah, I can. Ah, in this class, in this class, I'm okay. It's in public, you know. You want to stop it? Okay. Turn off the camera. Sorry, the book testimonies happen when we turn off the camera. Why should be here live? Right? <laughs> <laughs> look at it. Look at this. This is the millennials today. Look at him. I'm teaching a class. I'm right here, and he's just staring at his phone. <laughs> Come on up. I'm catching them on film, but we are. Well, you know, um, what happened is that, you know, probably most people already know that Supreme God is, you know, shifting whatever the living God. So I have a lot of our friends, you know, working in Supreme God who, um, I feel sorry for them so bad that um, they um, think. Somehow, you know, they never gave up the 2016 election. Whatever. I'm not too far into the past week, I'll give you I just somehow I feel so bad that they never gave up the election in 2016. So then, everyone that I know, I, I would say they enjoy it, and every day, they say, oh my goodness, like, I, I can't I stand with this guy for another two years. You know, please, you know, they, and I feel so bad, but I just stay quiet. So one day I decided, I, there's a lot of them, but I have no fear one. They asked me a very personal question. And they said, uh, you know, uh, uh, how come you don't uh, hate the president? And uh, can you tell me, if you really don't care about this guy, or you love him, either way, can you tell us about it? I mean, a group of people. And you know what, I refused to answer for weeks. I, didn't, I just don't want to get into it. Because that's not something that, you know. So one day, they kept asking me. So I decided, OK, I'll, I'll, I'll. So I sat down with them, and I said, you know, let's talk. And what you guys want to know, they, they asked me, you know, um, you're so peaceful. So you're the only one that never publicly said anything to think about the president. <laughs> and yes, and you know, I thought it's true. And I said, you know, that is correct. And take it that way. So, I, But these people that I, basically the people that I know in the building, they, they have nothing against me because all the days or years I spend the time with them, nothing but talk. The only thing I did to them was talking. Without me, some of them would have get fired from the jobs. Because sometimes at 7, 8 p.m., I'm supposed to be having dinner for dinner, but I stay up to sometimes 11 p.m. because the mistakes they make. So I have to you know, help them you know, stay late so, so they know who am I, and they know that I have a love for them. So they, there's nothing for them to against me regardless of my political view. So that's why they like to come to me and ask me about it. So, I told, so they told me that they already know about the church. The church said, oh, you love, you know, 
pray for the leaders, you know, I love everyone, and I don't want to hear that message from you. That's what they told me. But okay, is that so? I said, okay, you don't have to hear that message. She knew it early. So I said, okay, so so this is what I'm, I told him. I said, why do you hate the person? And I asked him, oh, you don't know what you did. You're doing all kind of things bad, and you don't know where, where you live. Where you live? You live in San Jose. I said, but well, where, how do you know what he's doing bad? They said, oh, the news, oh, did you watch the news? I said, that's the point I'm trying to get. I don't watch the news. I don't, because I don't pay attention to it. So I asked them, now the church won't go to us and tell you this. Can you please shut the news, don't watch for a week, and come back and you will have peace. I guarantee you, if you have to watch, watch football. Or basketball, so I call it. But you know what? I, I made them, they said, you are right. And I believe if you can do it, but I like to do for a whole week. Because I never watch the news. The only news I watch is football sometimes. Or gateway app, that's why I told them. <laughs> but otherwise, I'll see again. But that, you know, so I told him, but you know what? And I prayed for him. I said, let me have a prayer for you. And I just said, God, shut the news on these people regardless of who they are. Just don't let them watch the news. You know what? And they, they agreed with me. And they said that, you know, um, um, we will give away from the news and we will come in. I said, I guarantee you, if you shut the news down and you come here and you don't have peace, I'll pay you lunch. That's my fault. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but they have to be honest with me. And you know what? I guarantee them. If you shut the news out, focus on something else, no news, and you will. So that's why, you know, I, I work, I felt so bad because there's a so, it's not one person, it's a lot of people like that. Every day, come in and, you know, when they finish their work at the lunch break, they came out and complain about everything. So finally, I make a suggestion, and I did this. I, since, you know, they know me here, I said, you know what, you guys, where I came from, where I, where I was born and raised, if you want to, I mean, I just, even though I, 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 this is like a, like a, not like a real proposal, but just like something that I bring it up and say, there's a lot of people that I know personally would trade the place to come to this country if we go back there, even for $50,000. You, you, you must stay around and leave this country, because I know where I came from, a lot of people want to come here. And they're willing to trade with you. That's why we even think they wouldn't pay you to trade the place. But have you come move there and have them come here? You want to do that? So, I, so that's why I say, that's why to me, now I can share the faith with them. I say, you know, I thank God so much that I live in this country, that I have a peace with me. And, you know, so now they begin to, uh, you know, to, uh, to come up to me and ask me for, for answer and things like that. Problem with So I thank God. All right. I mean, I love you so much because, you, you know, I'm, I'm big, I'm tall. I mean, I, you notice me when I walk into a room. 
And I love guys like you walk in, nobody notices, soft-spoken, but so anointed and have such a powerful calling. You and your wife and this band here. And he was supposed to be on a flight, the last flight out of Vietnam, that crashed and died. He was supposed to be on it. And instead, it came out years later, but the Lord preserved you and brought you here at such a time as this. So I just bless you. Receive who you are. But now, impart to all of us this fire that you have right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you, um, you have us here. Uh, you raise us up to be a Christian that you want us to be so that we can you know, reach out to the lost souls. Uh, that way you put us in this country, even though we, we were born as Buddhists, but you, you, know, you make us you know, come, to know your, your, come to know you so that we could bring the gospel to the lost ones. And we thank you, God, for what, all the things that you've done in our wonderful life. May you continue to use us so that we can reach out to anyone who comes to us that want to understand about the gospel at workplace, especially where you use me so that um, because of you, not because of me, because the anointed gift you gave it to me so that uh, at workplace, a lot of people you know, came and asked uh, about you and they asked me, but I know that because you use us, may you continue to bless us with, um, for our um, um, church here at Gateway. May you continue to bless Pastor Ted so that he could um, teach us more so that we can learn and we can do you know, the outreach out there to the lost, just like we need to um, pray about the lost to you before we pray, before we bring the lost to God. And God, please uh, keep us in your uh, fellowship, keep us in this class so that we can learn from each other. It's not us that, you know, that we, um, we are standing out, but it's God who is standing out. Uh, it's not we got, we just a humble servants. We are nothing without you. So whatever, we standing up here because of you. If it wasn't for you, we would never be standing up here at all. So that's why we thank God for everything. And we um, pray that everyone in this class will receive the anointed uh, Holy Spirit so that he or she can impact the people around um, him or her uh, in the family, in the community, in the church, everywhere he or she goes to. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. We, we thank you that you have chosen us, Lord. We are inadequate, but you are adequate, Lord. You chose the broken, the ordinary people like us, but you transform us to become extraordinary for the kingdom of God, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. Thank you, Lord, for the last 24 hours I was praying with you in the mountain with all the Holy Spirit is upon me and the Holy Fire. So right now I impart it to this class, Lord, to have filled with Holy Spirit, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I can feel you everywhere, every minute when I'm in the prayer mountain, Lord. Thank you for that time, Lord. And then we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. 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 Wow. Praise God. Uh, you ready to share? Come on. Yes. Well, you told me I had a testimony, so I guess I do. <laughs> My name is Nancy. Um, I have been... Well, I, my husband and I have an evangelism ministry, so we have are used to 
talking to people and stuff, but the Lord's been uh, laying on my heart the need to pray for the sick, and so that's something new for me. And I want to see somebody miraculously healed, but I haven't seen that yet. But I've been, like when I go to the grocery store, there was a man at the counter here at the deli, and he was, and, you know, like, I'm noticing him, and I thought, well, should I pray like here at the deli counter? And, you know, Lord, what do you want me to do? And a few minutes later, he got his order, and he walked over, and he was just, oh, man. And he was really hurting. And I asked him about it, and he told me, you know, he's been having problems and just could hardly bend over. And I said, well, um, I volunteer at the healing rooms in Santa Clara. Would you like me to pray for you? And he said, oh, sure. And he, he gets like, you know, in prayer position. <laughs> so I, I put my hand on, I asked him where it was, and he showed me. And right there in the middle of the store, I'm praying for him and pray healing. I'm learning to command healing, not just ask God, but to speak to the, the body. And, and um, so I prayed for him, and I didn't ask him like if he felt better or anything. I just, I just left it at that. But that was um, kind of new for me. And then just the other day, I was at Rocca's and Little Market in San Martin, and I know Dan Rocca, and he he looked like he was hurting. And I said, Dan, are you you okay? And he goes, Oh yeah, I, I'm in pain all the time. And so I said, well, could I pray for you? And he was at this check stand, checking me out. And he said, well, sure. So he just stopped what he was doing, and, and I prayed for his back and his pain. And um, haven't been back since, but I, I've been continuing to pray for him. So that's just the journey God's got me on. And I'm listening to so how many people think that's a cool, awesome testimony? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Hallelujah. I, I really wanted you to stand up and share because I knew that, uh, one, people, you need to speak out. All of you need to speak out. You need to get over your self-consciousness mm -hmm. because you're here. You're on Tuesday. We're Christians. We're part of this. And you're pushing through. People are looking up to you. You're a leader. You're an influencer, okay? So you need to just own that and speak out. Um, and so I'm glad you did that. But all, yes, but, but also, you know, you think, oh, my testimony isn't so big, but there's all these people that are saying, man, I can never be like Pastor David Kenneth Tracy. Man, he's walking on water, you know? And then they hear you and go, oh, wow, my little baby step is valid. I can take that little baby step. And it's about realizing that in the kingdom there are no superstars. And we're all the same, you know? I mean, Paul said when he was at the end of his life, I'm the chief of sinners. And this is a guy who's a tremendous spiritual leader. So that's awesome. Stand up, extend your hands. I also feel a word for you. Um, I was talking to somebody, and they were kind of captured with this religious spirit. They had been hurt by the Bay Area rejecting their views as a Christian. And I could see they were really angry. And I, he was grieving to see, you know, this 
this religious spirit, they couldn't get beyond that and bless and see the potential. And afterwards, I was thinking, and the Lord spoke to me, and he said, you know, if they what would happen if Christians hated cancer as much as you hate, you know, these other type of sins that hurt you? What if we hated sickness? And then he brought to mind that scripture that says, because you love righteousness and hate evil, I've anointed you with the oil of joy, and I've set you above your peers. And I'm asking the Lord to give me such a compassion and such a faith that I just hate sickness the way the Lord hates sickness. And that, you know, I love that person so much that, and I know that Jesus died to set them free, and I have that compassion for them. I mean, Jesus, for those people that are sick, He went to the cross for their eternal salvation. He also went to the cross for their sickness, for their back pain. He cares about, He knows the hairs on our head. He cares about the little things and the big things. I believe the Lord's going to give that to you. I believe that you're going to walk in this anointing, this motherly love that is not shouting, it's not loud, that's not who you are, but just this compassion that leads you to be really bold. And, um, you know, so she wants to see a super miracle, so let's agree with her. Open up your hands to receive. Father, I just thank you for my sister. Lord, and I just call forth what I see, Father. Lord, this love, Lord, this faithfulness, Father. Lord, your word says that she who has much, even more will be given. So give her more now, Lord. Father, I pray that you give her a love for your righteousness, Lord. Father, Lord, that she will love what you love, Father. Lord, that she'll love the people, Father, and she'll hate what you hate. And she'll want to destroy and be anointed to destroy all the works of the evil one. Father, she wants to see miracles. And I believe that that's not you who wants to see miracles. That's your Father's dream for you that He's sharing with you. Lord, she's being called, Lord. Lord, now just, Lord, we just say, activate her, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. Um, this is, this was, uh, uh, it's, uh, uh, anointed for business. This came out in 2002. A few years after that came out Transformation, uh, which followed up on this. And then after that came Ecclesia. Uh, and Ecclesia is the original word that we call for church. So this is a copy of Ed Savosa's latest book, Ecclesia. It also has the study guide, and it has a DVD with... Uh, a lesson, a video lesson that uh, professionally recorded um, for each one of the, it's like, I think it's 20 minutes long over each one of the chapters. It's designed to, it's called a curriculum kit, and it's designed to lead a small group through Ecclesia. So who's hungry and wants more and wants to, uh, wants to lead a group through this? Raise your hands, okay? Anybody else? Who wants this? Are you too late? Who else wants this? Okay, so come up to the front. All right, both of you, come to the front. All right. Tell me how you're going to use this. What's your plan to use this? And the team's going to vote. The, the class is going to vote on which of you has the best plan, and then you'll get it, or you can share it. Okay. So, what, how? What's your plan to use this? Uh, from Pedro 
so what do you want to use this LLCA kit for? <laughs> All right, Apple, down the street from Apple, cookie dinner, or uh, all the nations, okay? So who thinks, uh, who might vote with applause? Should she get this? I think just give it to her. It's a much more white. Okay, all right. You get this. No, right. This is, yeah. Oh, hey, great, 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 great. What do I got here? Oh, hey, no, 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 come back up. Rebecca. Oh, yeah, Sam. You get the consolation prize. This is Ed Samosa's very first book, Merry Christmas. I mean, it's not Merry Christmas, it's The Nuns You Perish. This is the very first book. And uh, do you have somebody else you'd like to give this book to? Okay, I will give it to my brother. Give it to your brother. All right, there you go. All right. Woo! Oh, and I need it. Uh, you can pick it up after class, okay? I, I don't have a copy of it. I, no, not that. I need the name for business book. Let's do a pop quiz. What was chapter? Okay, first of all, two questions. Uh, who read this book? Part of it, okay. Who read part of it? All right, give yourself, I don't know, however many points uh, you want, partial credit. Who read the whole book? Listen counts. Okay, who's read the whole book? You've never read the whole book. <coughs> Finish it.
One more thing before we get going. Today, the subject is, it's God's time for California. And I just want to let you know, I am really, really excited about what the Lord's been doing through this class. Uh, my desired outcome of this class is that you would understand that it's God's time for you, and that it's God's time for the Bay Area, for California, and for the nation. That you are very, very special, that you have a unique gift, that you have been called by God, by Him personally, that He knew you before the foundations of the earth, that He brought you here to know Him, and He brought you here to this specific place. He knows your specific story. He saved you. It wasn't circumstances. It was God's divine hand that saved you from being on that plane so that you died. He chose you. He protected you. I know, sister, you have a story, too. I can just see it all over you. And I'm so glad that we could sign, uh, assign ecclesia, uh, so ecclesia, into the nations. That's what we're all about. What I hear you feeding back to me is that you're experiencing God's time. So that is very, very encouraging. My hope today is that you go a little bit deeper in understanding the destiny and God's call over us corporately. Okay? Here in this place, here at Gateway, as an ecclesia in Silicon Valley for the Bay Area and for California. They, you know, they say as goes the San Francisco, so goes California. As goes California, so goes the nation. Generally, that's said in a negative sense, at least by spiritual people. Um, I believe that's in a very, very profound sense, spiritually. That the Lord is doing something here right now that we're already in the midst of. Right now. That He wants to pour out His Spirit in such a dramatic way. So that's my subject for today. Okay? Um, a couple things, though. I have, Remember, I have sent out a sign-up form for the flash mob. All right? Remember that? Yeah. One day? And I told you what we were going to do. Uh, that has gotten postponed until a later date. We didn't think we had. It just wasn't coming together. And we didn't think it was... We didn't think it was the timing was right. But we are doing other stuff. Okay? We have uh, regular prayer meetings. Um, you know, transform our world has been here 38 years. We have a vibrant intercessory prayer ministry. We have prayer calls every day, other than Sunday. We get on the phone and we pray. Every Wednesday, we meet in my home for happy hour prayer, and the presence of God comes. It's powerful. We are doing some really cool stuff um, over Christmas, too. Um, you know, we just had, I'm mean, talking about California. My desire is that you come away not just with a burden for intercession and prayer, but also see what's right in front of us. I mean, I'm declaring that it's God's time for, for California. And you realize the last three years we've had record-breaking fires. Did you know, like, right now, right now, at Christmas time, families have lost everything, Okay. Uh, some of my friends went up there who were part of were working with us for an initiative called Hope California, 40 Days of Hope for California. Um, and it's just an initiative to mobilize the body of Christ to do this, what we're talking about. And they've been touring the state. They went to, um, they went to Orville, 
actually, and they interviewed some of the people from the uh, from um, Paradise who were victims of the campfire. Just heartbreaking, heartbreaking. He said, "How can we pray for you?" And they said, "We didn't just lose our house. You have to realize the whole city burned down. We lost our house. We lost our place of work. We lost our um, um, our school." And we don't even know. I mean, it's going to be two to three years if, um, before we even have permits to build, much less before the process begins. Um, whenever I'm going through a problem, I mean, to be honest, focusing on others helps me. I do it for my own sake. You know, we have our own issues, like all of us that we're dealing with. Uh, just praying for them and uh, inspiring stories, too. Um, we're going to go up to Orville. We have four partners there. And they're doing an outreach um, at Christmas to give Christmas gifts away um, to, to kids. And they opened that up. They, they had this planned already. And then after the fire, they opened it up to the victims of the campfire. And now it exploded. So, um, you know, uh, we've donated money. We're going to go up there. Like, I think they're doing it the 17th, 18th, and 19th, and 20th. And one of those days, we're going to go up there. Um, so if you want to keep, if you want to get notified about that, and maybe you want to come up with us, or if you want more information of where to give, uh, that's something you could do. Then also, um, um, uh, just Saturday, another one of our intercessory leaders from um, Gilroy, Dory Prado, she had an outreach and did the stuff and uh, had Christmas for the homeless and had an event where they came in and gave stuff to them. At the end of the event, they, they, they noticed that not so many of the homeless came, you know, the, the weather wasn't so great and other reasons, but they went ahead anyway. But afterwards, they went out to the camps and they realized one of the reasons that the homeless don't come to events that you have for them is because they're afraid to leave their stuff because the police take it or other people steal it. And they said, when they went out to where they were, they felt the presence of God so strongly. On Saturday the 20th, in the morning, not so far, it's, you know, 30-minute drive down to Gilroy, they're going to go out, they're going to have soup, they're going to have some gloves, they have scarves, they have a few sleeping bags. But I tell you, the biggest thing they're bringing is just the human element. Looking them in the eyes and saying, you have God. I was praying for this homeless lady in San Francisco the other day. I, 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 you know, I try to practice what I preach so that I'm not <laughs> so I don't get struck with lightning. <laughs> and I've been to San Francisco. My friend brought, bought me lunch, and I talked so much that half of my lunch was left over. I had a sandwich, and there's this lady, you know, there, and and you know what I'm learning is it's not about the thing you can give to them. That's secondary. Just give them yourself. Give them your time. Look them in the eyes. You know? And so I tried to do that. I went up to her and just talked to her. You know? I could talk to anybody. You know? If they're crazy, don't worry. I'm crazy too. I could talk crazy. You know? And it was really fun. And I told her I had half a sandwich. She went up, really? Oh, I love that. I gave her half the sandwich. Then I said, uh, you know, I give you a sandwich. What do you want that only God can give you? How can I pray for you? She looked me in the eyes and she said, you, what does she want? You, you, I mean, you've already given it. Touched me so deeply. Just me talking to her meant so much. 
So, anyways, um, that's the most important thing we can do. It's just showing up. So, if you want to be involved in the prayer, if you want to be part of this movement, I'm also dreamy. I don't know what form this will take, but I want to continue this. I want to keep training on intercession. I want to impart what I have and then see you guys come up and share what you're doing and record it and stream it live and influence the whole world, okay? I don't know what form that will take in, uh, I'm probably going to take a break from this for the rest of the, you know, enjoy this month and, and set up and strategize. I don't know if it's going to be like a, win, a weekend, a weekday night in my home where we come together and we do this sort of thing. Um, I don't know what form it will be, it will take, but if you'd like to be involved, um, sign up, let me know. Okay, if you say, hey, Ted, I love this, and I want to keep in touch and follow more, I want to pray with you, sign up. I'd like your number and your email. That would be awesome. Okay? All right, and your name, too. All right, so the sign-up sheet is going around, and if you want to be part of that, I'll give you more info about Orville. This will be someone like the 17th through the 19th, I think, and then Gilroy will be the 20th. Um, I'll also send you a link if you wanted to give to there. Um, all right. Any questions before we get going? Let me give a brief intro for 10 minutes, and then we'll take a break, and then we'll come back. Um, it's God's time for California, and I'm going to talk through some stuff that I have been dwelling on, been thinking about, been praying about for many, many years, uh, about the history of California, and what I feel prophetically this time is, and also connect it with, um, you know, an understanding of the history. I love that message preached on Sunday. And that illustration of this beautiful chair that's being passed down. But it's not really yours because it was stolen way, way, way back. And it's the devil's chair. And we pass something down that looks beautiful. But really, it's dark. And it's passing down iniquity. And it's setting a ceiling and cursing are generational. Folks, that doesn't just apply to us individually, and to our families individually. It also applies to the land and to the house that we use. This place where we're living is beautiful. It's beautiful. I mean, to hear from an immigrant, you know, if you guys ever start to get in the dumps, go talk to an immigrant, really. And let them speak into your life. This morning I was at, up at, uh, all day we had a video shoot at the Iranian Christian Church and uh, up in Sunnyvale. It is the largest Muslim convert church in our nation, right here in San Jose. Beautiful. I love it because every time I go there, I just get refreshed. I walk on the property and I think about it when I get cleansed because you talk to them and it's like the things we take for granted, they love and they value so much. And we're whining about, you know, President Trump, Donald Trump, this political right, political left, and say, oh, they're just like, you guys get to argue. It's amazing. <laughs> we didn't get to argue. They shot us if we argued. You know, it's like, wow. Praise God. We live in a very, very beautiful place. Um, but, you know, he used the illustration of a, uh, of a rocking chair. The illustration I used you lived in a house, and there was something wrong about it, you know. You 
just didn't know what. You bought the house. The person you bought it from had bought it. But the person they had bought it from had moved into the house, falsified the document, said that they bought it, killed the rightful owners, and buried them in the backyard. Do you have a right to live in that house? You legally bought it. You legally bought it from somebody who legally bought it, but they bought it from somebody who had done something like that. No. And you, if you're spiritually discerning, you'd have to address that. That's a similar metaphor to what he shared on Sunday. And I'm going to talk about that because that metaphor, as harsh as it is, is actually kind of accurate for the land that we live in here in California. But um, the story I want to start with is what I call a beautiful story. And um, there was this beautiful young girl who grew up in a wonderful, amazing uh, home, a Christian home, loving, nurturing. You know, parents weren't perfect, but they really loved her, poured into her. She had a lot of privilege. Um, but then, uh, in her teen years, she started going dark. Started, just just turned around, stopped following the Lord, started listening to really dark music, being rebellious, angry, hanging out with the wrong crowd, engaging in risky behavior. Her parents were just fabricated. And they tried to intervene, and every time they tried to intervene, it looked like they'd push her further away. So here you have this very, very beautiful girl who has so much promise, so much opportunity to change the world. And you can imagine the frustration of the parents as they're seeing her just go this wrong way. And every time they try to reach out, they just push her away further, and it gets in the cycle of rebellion and anger and anger. Until finally, the truth came out. And when she was a young girl, about 15, she had been raped. Um, and no one, she had felt so much shame, nobody knew about it. It happened in a private place. And the story had been covered up. And she had been carrying that shame. And since she was covering it up and feeling so dirty, and she didn't feel like she could reach out. But when the story came to light, when she was able to share it, when she was finally able to come up and face the fears that she had, that her parents would reject her, that her father would reject her, that she think, he think, you know, these lies that we tell ourselves. Well, actually, the opposite happened. Her father felt nothing but compassion, felt brokenness. They understood the behavior, and healing was able to come, and she was able to release it. She was able to realize that what had happened to her was not her destiny. It was not her identity. She didn't have to live under it. And then she could take ownership of her own risky behavior and bad behavior that she pushed away the ones she should have drawn near to. And they were also able to understand that they needed to give her space and to reach out and to affirm her. When the darkness came into the light, healing could happen. And uh, I just told a true story. If you go watch this movie, uh, in fact, I think it's on Netflix, Beautifully Broken, you'll see this story. I highly recommend that. Um, and uh, I was one of the most powerful movies I've ever seen, period. Yeah, and now not only is that girl healed and living well, she is using her life to help others 
and is leading this ministry that is just really changing the world. So, that's my introduction. I would submit to you, this region, specifically in the state of California, it's a beautiful story, but we're in process. And the process we're in right now that is so frustrating to, the, to, to those of us, you know, uh, who love this area, but don't have fully un full understanding of it, and see the horrible, iniquitous behavior, and are so tempted to just write it off and give up on this area. Um, it's very painful. I would submit to you that right now we are this beautiful, wonderful young lady who has so much potential, so much potential, that so much has been sown into this area, that has dreams that the Father has over this area to be, I mean, this place in all our dysfunction is the most influential, is one of the most influential places in the world. But, we're still, we have this dark history that has not been told that's uncovered, that's covered up. And until we really come to grips with that, we're never going to fulfill our destiny. And this, as the Lord began to speak to me, this is stuff I've been meditating on for years, and seeking the Lord, and studying, and listening, and prayer. And really, it was just in the last few months that the Lord really gave me clarity on what's happening here. And I believe we are on... We are living in this story where we are this child with so much promise and with a destiny to influence for the kingdom the whole world, but we're stuck in that dysfunctional adolescence where we're acting out in the exact opposite of what we're called to be, where we're throwing away our inheritance and heading down a path, you know, where not only are we hurting ourselves, but we're hurting others because we're stuck in this unresolved darkness and this pain and this shame that has been covered up. So that's the history I want to unlock and share a little bit of my notes. I don't know everything. I can just share what, I, what the Lord has shown me so far. But this beautiful story, you know, it says all of creation is longing for the manifestation of the sons of God. What I believe is the destiny of the Bay Area. Right now, the Bay Area is, demographically, it's just a fact, it's the least churched area in our nation. Okay? Also, demographically, even though we're the center of innovation, we're the center of new wealth, I mean, the wealth that's being created here is just crazy, of unprecedented proportions, really, in history, of what's being created out of here. It's changing the whole world. You go all over the world, probably even in Vietnam, there's the Silicon Valley of Vietnam, you know? There's a Silicon Valley of North Carolina. There's a Silicon... We're the Silicon Valley of Europe. We're the Silicon Valley of... Everybody is naming themselves after us. Um, all of creation is longing for the manifestation of the sons of God. And what I believe our destiny is, is to influence the whole nation. And to influence it for the kingdom. I believe the Lord wants to and is beginning. In fact, I believe the testimonies you saw that you've heard throughout this, this series, that you guys have shared, I believe those, we're going to look back and we're going to say, 
that was when the revival began. People are going to come from all over the world and say, wow, show what's happening in your prison systems? And you're going to say, you know, it's Jesus, and he's changing everything. And you're going to remember, and we have it recorded, and we're going to show, let me show you the seeds of how that happened. And they're going to say, I want to know, study, let me show you. I say, it's just ordinary people, but we're going to show you how it was. And they're going, oh, wow, that's a tiny little seed, but it grew into a great plant. I believe that is the destiny. I believe that out of this least churched area, I believe our destiny, like, it's the least church area, but just this morning, I was at one of the most influential churches in our nation. The largest Muslim convert church was right here in the Bay Area. And you can go on and on about these incredible ministries right out of here. I believe that's the destiny of this place. And I think that the Bay Area, as reticent as it is, as negative as it is to Christianity, you know what it is. You work in the marketplace. How long have you been here? You've been here since? Um, I came here in 1980. 80 something when, when last, last year, Ron Reagan. How, how long have you been saved? Uh, I've been saved uh, in 1990 and 91. 1990 91. Okay, so they're, they're still resistant. It's different than what it was back then, right? Oh, I tell you, I've been here 22 years ministry. And I tell you, as, as resistant as they are now, it is nothing like it used to be. They are so open. And I'll tell you, I believe all of the Bay Area is longing, all of the Bay Area is longing for the manifestation of the sons of God. They are longing for us to awaken to who we are, to go show them what Je who Jesus really is. I believe that the resistance here is not to Jesus and it's not to the supernatural, it's not to the redemption, it's not to miracles, it's not to what Jesus does. What I believe the resistance here is to religion. They don't like the hypocrisy, they don't like, you know, our silly forms and our rituals that we go through that have no meaning. But they are hungry, hungry, hungry for the real thing. And then what's going to come out of this is a tremendous outpouring that's going to influence our nation and the whole world. All right? So that's my intro. Let's take an uh, eight-minute break and be here at 10 after and get ready to go. Okay? Just a warning, a preface. Can we all work together on this? Okay? So if you have questions, um, let's interact. I have not really, I mean, I've talked about portions of this. I have not really presented this material in this way before. So it's kind of like a first fruits prototype. That's cool, right? Okay. So um, we ready to go? So if you have questions, feel free to interact. And uh, let's go. All right. So uh, everyone enjoying their pizza? Yes. Thank well, Father, we thank you for pizza. We thank you for the break. Lord, and now we just say, let your kingdom come, Lord, speak through me, Lord, and give us a burden and faith for intercession, Lord, so we can partner with you, Lord, and my prayer is, Lord, that you will let us see that beautiful, beautiful daughter, that beautiful person that you have created us to be, Lord, but also, Lord, open up our eyes to see the darkness, to see the trauma that has happened, Lord, Lord so that we can be intercessors and stand in the gap and be your agents of healing, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
All right, so um, let's start in the scriptures, okay? I want you to hear something. Um, first of all, when we talk, I mean, the, the message we heard on Sunday, just, I mean, that's the perfect background. That was such a confirmation when I was really listening to the Lord and saying, okay, is this what I shared? Do I just go a different direction? You know, that gives a biblical framework of talking about iniquities, that we have to address these things. But if you look at, you know, if we want to see the glory of the Lord, if we want to see Pentecost, like I believe that what you read about in Pentecost, the Holy Spirit coming, and the apostles, and signs and wonders and miracles being the normal, I believe that's what Christianity is all about, okay? What we read about there is what the Lord wants to do with us, okay? That, I mean, I'm praying, Lord, that I want, I want to walk around and be walking with him so closely that my shadow heals people, okay? And I hope you don't feel that that's cocky because I want you all to want the same thing. And you know what? I really don't care if my shadow is my influence into my sister here and it actually manifests with her. Great. I'll just tell you, go, you know, let me pray for you and get you encouraged. You know, I'll cast out the devils and she'll heal the sick. Okay? You know, I don't care who does it. This whole idea of, you know, this whole idea of superstar Christianity, that's the old model. That's gone. That's over with. The new model is team. The new prophetic model, the example is the warriors. Okay? Great team, okay? We all work together. Transformation, the kingdom of God is a team sport, okay? So I believe that's what's happening. But if we want to see the Holy Spirit come, if we want to see revival, we've got to have holiness. We've got to come before Him and let Him get to the root of our iniquity. In the same way that that girl that I was telling you about, she had to own it. Okay, for her owning it wasn't saying, oh, it wasn't condemnation. See, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This, the way we preach about sin and all that, it's always condemnation and guilt. It's none of that. But we have to know, we have to own it. She had to own it that it, it wasn't her fault. It was some monster's fault. But it happened to her. And she had to come and then own her part of it that she had to walk it out, okay? We have to come to that place of brokenness and humility and transparency completely before the Holy Spirit. Without holiness, we're not going to see God, okay? If you look at the biblical model of, of repentance, like two examples, Nehemiah and Daniel. I love Daniel, for example, because Daniel is the only character in the Scriptures where there's nothing recorded that's negative about him. So the guy was pretty holy, you know. I mean, you look at David, who was the man after God's own heart, and there was plenty of negative, negative stuff that he did, you know. But Daniel, when he's praying and he's feeling it's God's time to bring Israel out of the captivity and bring them back into the promised land, he gets before you and he says, God, me, my people, and I have sinned. He completely identified with the sins of the nation. And he didn't repent of it as if, oh, these Israelite people have been so sinful. No, he humbled himself in a place of brokenness and completely identified with the corporate sins of the nation that he had not personally had any part of. Okay? So it's like that story of the house I told you. 
I bought it legally. Well, it doesn't matter if you bought it legally. You bought something and you bought into a system. Okay? And what I shared about that, the house, you know, if someone goes into a house and kills the inhabitants that are there, buries them in the backyard so nobody knows, and takes the deed and falsifies it, then lives in it for a while, and then sells it to somebody else, that house is contaminated, and whoever bought it from then does not really own it. This is actually, there are cases going through The Hague, the international court, about this issue right now. The Jews, praise God, are leading the way to repatriate things that were stolen during the Holocaust. And they're saying, you might have bought it, you might have bought it, you might have bought it, you might have spent millions of dollars for it, but I have a right to that because it was stolen from my forefathers. This is happening right now, okay? It's easy to see it when it's out there. So Daniel and Nehemiah, both of them, when they repented, it wasn't an individual issue. See, we have to get rid of that Western mindset. We're, we're clouded by two things, our Western individuality and also the English language. Because unless you're from the South, we don't have a plural for you. You know, from the South, y'all. Okay, plural you. We used to have ye, but we lost it in our language, which makes sense because we don't think corporately. We think individual, the rugged individual. That's what it's all about. You're not an individual. And the Bible was not written by Westerners <laughs> to Westerners. The Bible was written by Hebrews, ancient Hebrews, two ancient Hebrews. And they thought entirely differently. When God came to Abraham, he said, I want to make a covenant with you and with all of your descendants. The individual and the corporate are all tied in there together. And then you look back. I mean, we really have a hard time identifying. See, we have to get a special term to talk about identifying for sins that we did not personally commit. And we call it, I don't know if you've heard this term, identificational repentance. So maybe my forefathers sinned and did something. I will identificationally repent for that. Okay? The Scripture doesn't call it identificational repentance. The Scripture calls it repentance. You see, the individual and the corporate are tied together. And we need to understand that, that you are not an individual. You're called to be part of a family, and you're called as part of a family. Do you understand that? This is a profound revelation, because the other side is we don't understand, and we can't lay hold fully of the promise where Jesus, you know, it says in, in, in the book of Acts, believe, and you and your household shall be saved. You believe one man, the patriarch, the man of that family, and you and your whole household will be saved. Now that doesn't mean that instantly everybody who's, you know, descended from him instantly gets saved, but it sort of does. It brings them in underneath this covenant, and now they have to go from opting in to opting out. You know what I'm saying? They immediately come underneath and into this covenant. There's a level of power that's available for us if we will lay hold of this and let go of our individualistic minds. Well, I think it's so beautiful, the testimony you shared and you shared. I mean, you guys didn't know I was going to talk about this, okay? But to see that you're praying and seeing the first fruits of salvation come to your household. So, amen. All right? So we need to understand 
biblical repentance. So, in that context, I want to read to you what Jesus said to the, apostles, to, the, to, to the Pharisees just before his death. This comes out of Matthew chapter 23, verse uh, 29, okay? And this is where he's listing out the curses, seven woes, okay? Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. What's happening there? Do you understand what he's saying? Okay, he's cursing the Pharisees who are about to crucify him. Okay? He's, and he's basically kind of frustrated with them because, you know, I'm there and I'm raising the dead in front of your eyes. You never deny that the dead raised and yet you still want to kill me because you say this guy claims to be the son of God. Well, if I claim it, that's one thing, but if I demonstrate it by raising the dead, why won't you at least consider my claims? I mean, how much more can I prove it? Okay, but they're so blinded. And he's basically telling the process of it. He says, woe to you, cursed, you're cursed. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape from being condemned to hell? Therefore I am sending you prophets, sages, and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue them from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Barakai, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I tell you, all of this will come on this generation." Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, man, this is challenging. This puts the fear of God in me. It's also really, really interesting. Jesus is not laying in to Sodom and Gomorrah here, okay? He's not laying in to Corinth, for example, or Ephesus. These were really what we call wicked cities. Ephesus, Corinth, those cities were like the Castro District 101. I mean, you know, I mean, worse, okay? Very perverted, sexually perverted, okay? He's not laying into them. He's laying into the Pharisees who were outwardly moral people. But, and this is like about as harsh as he gets anywhere in Jesus' words in the scriptures. There's no grace here left, okay? So that's interesting. But the other side of it is to see the pattern. First of all, he says, look at woe to you. You're cursed. Why? Because you build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. 
And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. That's step one. What did they do? Okay, Jesus basically draws a line in the sand. And he says, there's no middle ground. Look what Daniel did. Daniel humbled himself, and when it was time to seek the Lord and repent, he owned all the sins of his nation. And he goes all the way back, years and years, and he says, we're here because there's a story, and there's iniquity, and we own it, and I have to own it, and he completely identified with all the sins of his nation. What were the Pharisees doing? The exact opposite. They were saying, oh, wow, when those prophets came, they killed him, but we put flowers on their graves because if the prophets had come in our day, we would have never done that to them. They distanced themselves from the iniquities of their forefathers. That's step number one. Then, verse 31, so you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets because you distance yourself from it. See, the only way out, Jesus is the only way out. But we can't get out unless we own it. So they distance themselves, and he says, because of that, you're bound to it. You're testifying that you're just like them. That's the first step. Then he says, now, go ahead and complete what your ancestors started. Wow. Since you're distancing yourself, you're not letting me come in and set you free. It's all on you. You're bound to it. You testify that you're just like him, and now all that momentum is going to drive you and drive you, and you're going to complete it. And he says, I'm going to send you the prophets, and you're going to do even worse. And because of that, all of that devastation, you're not just going to get what you get what you do in this life. You're going to get all, look it, and so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth. From the blood of righteous Abel, the first righteous person we know who was murdered, recorded here in the scriptures, to Zechariah, son of Barakai, probably he was the last one, that had probably happened recently, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly, I tell you, all of this will come on this generation. Now, Jesus is speaking specifically to the Hebrews at this time, okay? But this applies to us today, all right? That is why it is so important. What do they say? Those who uh, are ignorant of history are doomed to repeat it. Jesus is saying, you're ignorant of history, you're doomed to magnify it. That's what he's saying right here. You have to own this. Malachi 4, 5, and 6, it's interesting. It says, anybody know that verse? Um, well, let's read it. Malachi 4, 5, and 6. I like to call Malachi the gospel of John the Baptist. <laughs> The last prophet that spoke, recorded, before the greatest move of God ever. And uh, he knew that John the Baptist would be a loud prophet, very bold, and he'd get himself killed. 
before he was able to write anything down. So being a prophet, he had a prophet write his gospel for him ahead of time. <laughs> and it says, and he, he, I, could, I have a whole message on Malachi. You can go in and analyze the whole book. It's written very well. Beautiful. It opens up, states its premise, develops its premise, and then summarizes it at the close. And it summarizes right here. See, this is the last thing the Holy Spirit said to the people of God before the greatest move of God either, ever. To set the stage for the greatest thing he's ever going to do. All right? says, so see, I will send you the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with total devastation. What he's saying is, I'm going to come and I'm going to show up. And if you're ready for me, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's going to be glorious. I'm going to set accounts right. But if you're not ready for me, there's going to be no middle ground in which to hide. I'm going to put a line in the sand. And if you respond and save, you'll be redeemed. But once the redemption comes, if you reject it, there's nothing left but condemnation, destruction. Okay? That's what he's saying, right? It's a great and it's a dreadful day of the Lord. When the Lord shows up, if you submit and you're ready for Him and you humble yourself before Him, it's going to be glorious. But if you're hiding in iniquity and living a double life, you don't want the Lord to show up. Or you do want the Lord to show up if you're going to humble yourself. But when the Lord shows up, if you harden your heart, okay, it's going to be horrible for you. Okay, He draws, he draws a line in the sand. That's what He's saying here. But since I don't want it to be dreadful for you, I want it to be amazing, I'm going to send the prophet Elijah. And the Bible says, Jesus said, John the Baptist was Elijah, if you had received him. So the extent that you received him. What was the message of Elijah? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But it's interesting here, to one, put this in context of all the iniquity and all the sin that was happening in Israel. He's saying Elijah's going to come, and what's he going to do? He's going to get right to the heart, and he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. And if that changes, if we get that right, it's going to be amazing. But if you get that wrong, it's going to be horrible. He doesn't confront them. I mean, at this time, Israel is worshiping pagan gods. Okay? At this time, Israel is worshiping Baal, a very vile religion. They're sacrificing their child, children through the fire. You know, I mean, sacrificing children, does that sound like America at all? Okay. Um, but he doesn't address any of that. He goes to the heart issue. And it's interesting also, because what is Jesus doing? See, we need to understand that turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers, the ultimate expression of that is the gospel. Because what happened in the garden wasn't just man being separated from God. For us to really understand the brokenness that happened in the garden, you have to understand that Adam was the first Christ, right? Because Christ was the second Adam. God created everything else. But when he made man and woman, he procreated. He made them in his image. 
Everything else was the house because God wanted to have a family. And Adam and Eve were his family. I mean, I really understood this when I had a child. And, you know, you have a kid and you look at it and you go, oh, I see she has something of me. She has something of Sandra, you know? And you see, as soon as you become a dad or a mom, right? You know, you're right. Before, you know, I don't understand why people thought kids were cute. You know, okay, they're just all generic. They're just kids, okay? Then once you have kids, you're like, okay, now I understand, all right? And you look, and everyone's different now. Before, they all looked the same. Now they all look different. And you look at them and say, oh, I know where you fit. You look just like that, okay? We were made in the image of God. What this means, if you're walking around in the garden and you walked by uh, uh, Adam or Eve, oh, oh, it's just you, Adam. I thought I saw God. Man, you look just like your father. That is where we come from. We're his children. And he, the ultimate act of him turning, of the father turning his heart to us, was him sending his son. The ultimate sacrifice risking it all because he could not bear the thought of spending eternity separated from us and risking it all and turning it back all right and he's saying if you come i'm going to send elijah and elijah is going to speak to you about a message of repentance and if you humble yourselves and repent blessings will come upon you but if you're not able to do that you harden your hearts when I come, the only thing that's going to be left is devastation. I would submit to you that in the same way that it's God's time for California, this is the challenges that we're living in right now. And I would also submit to you that if the children of God, we can't point the finger anywhere else, the catalyst is us. Are we going to believe? Are we going to go are we going to not settle for 98% holiness? Are we going to humble ourselves before him and say, Lord, prune my heart. He who has much, even more will be given. Show me how to intercede. Show me how to stand in the gap. See, when we talk about the history of our nation, let's start with the history of our nation, and then I want to get into the specifics of the history of, let's talk about America, then we'll talk about California. I hear two chains of thought because I'm in the Bay Area and I'm sensitive. So I grew up in uh, a very conservative Christian church, uh, you know, and like most white middle class Christians, we were Republicans. <laughs> Ronald Reagan was the gold standard of Christian leaders that we looked up to. And uh, that was the environment I was raised in. Okay? That environment... Um, understands, from my understanding, American history in one certain way, that we are a very, very special nation. That when the forefathers founded this nation, they founded it on something radically different than the other forms of government that were out there. They founded it upon a covenant, a covenant with God and with one another. Okay? And that, you know, the, 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 the um, Declaration of Independence and uh, the, the um, Constitution, radical, radical, you know, and I've heard it characterized like this way by Christian leaders, saying um, there's only two nations that have a covenant with God, Israel and America. 
Okay. America is very, very beautiful. I believe we have a massive, massive destiny, an incredible destiny. I believe we're special. I believe we're very, very special. Okay? I look at what America has accomplished, and it's amazing. And anytime I tempted to get down on it, like, I love talking to immigrants. It's refreshing and reminded how beautiful we are. But there's another side of our story, another side of our history. Do you know that England, evil England, oppressive England, <laughs> the Bible says don't be rebellious, but it's okay if you, uh, it was okay for our founding fathers because they had no other choice. Do you know England abolished slavery many years before we did? England's not righteous at all. England's got a very, very dark past. Okay? You know, we look back and, the, the, you know, we look at the history and we look at the pilgrims. We have such a romantic... Okay, can I get raw with you? Can I ruin... Can I put you through a... Can I just talk real with you? If you'll listen, you'll hear something else. If you'll listen to people who don't look like you. So I've had... I have friends that are uh, African-American. <laughs> uh, I also have friends who are Native American and native Californian. And when you listen, you hear stuff, if you really listen with your heart, you know, not just with your ears, but with your heart, and humble yourself, the Lord will speak to you stuff that you can't hear any other way. But uh, <laughs> here was what uh, a, a friend who is part of the Iroquois Confederation, he's in chief in uh, the Iroquois, where the Confederation of indigenous Native, America, uh, Native American Indians that were on the East Coast. This is their story of Thanksgiving. Okay, you, we, we've all heard the American story of Thanksgiving, right? You know, the pilgrims, and, and they were barely surviving, and then God provided this miraculous thing. The pilgrims came over, and they were a mixture of idealists and what we would call outcasts, um, people that couldn't make it in England, that were in prison, that were in debt, that had done, you know, just done lots of, and they, they had no other choice, but they got on, so they got on this boat. One thing they didn't have was any plan to survive. They didn't have any skill. They just had ideals, okay? Or they had ideals, and they had this bunch of characters that were, you know, this other piece that were just really low lives, okay? So they came over at the worst possible time. They didn't know anything. And um, they didn't know how to survive. So they start looking around. And they stumbled upon, so the, the native people that were there knew that there's harsh winters. So you have to harvest a whole lot during the summer and the spring, and then you had to store it. So they would hide it in different, they, they would put it in winter lockers, basically, in, in, in caves and also in, in, uh, in, in hidden out like trees and stuff like that. So these native people who were starving because they had no plan, they didn't, that, no, these pilgrims who were starving because they didn't have any idea what to do, they stumbled across the winter stores. They're like, oh, hallelujah! <laughs> Food! Let's have a feast! So they raid these stores, and they have this big feast. Well, the tribal leaders find out about it, and they go, and they're a little upset, as you would be if someone came into your house and you'd stored up all winter and say, you guys have no idea what's coming, you know? And they're having a big feast. And like, folks, you can't eat this all at once. This has to survive us all winter, okay? And they're saying, hey, if you want some help, we'll help you, but let's all work on this together. Because if you have this big feast right now, none of them are going to eat. And as you can imagine, they were a little upset, all right? 
And they were adamant, and there's this cultural, and then the pilgrims are like, oh, these horrible heathens, they're trying to stop us from celebrating. So they shot them and killed the chiefs. That's the Native American version of Thanksgiving. And the rest of it is just cover up and spin. Now, that story didn't really happen, okay? But neither did the idealistic Thanksgiving that we celebrated. It didn't really happen. A version of what I described is probably much closer to the truth. They survived off of raiding the winter stores of the native people. But we paint everything in this Pollyannish culture. We believe, and I believe rightly so, that God has allowed America to innovate in the area of government and to go back to something that was powerful, a covenant. But we're not the first nation based upon a covenant. We're not the first nation that has governed themselves. The indigenous people that were here were a very sophisticated culture that had survived for millennia, and they did not have uh, you know, lords, kings, and common people. They didn't have classes. They had really, their chief system was really a representative form of government. In fact, you look at the founding fathers' uh, inspiration, they took inspiration from the scriptures, from the ancient Roman and Greek cultures, and they also took inspiration from a living model that they had in the Iroquois Confederacy. They're ruling themselves and there's no class, there's no commoners and nobility. Okay? And we believe that we're covenant, but you see, we only tell half of the story. But you listen to some of the bright minds at Berkeley, some of them that I do not agree with politically, but they will tell the story and say, America was great, what about slavery? America was great, what about the genocide against the indigenous people? Do you know, we talk about covenant, but every single treaty that we have made as a nation with the indigenous people, I don't believe there's a single one that has been abided by. A treaty is a covenant that's higher than a law because it's two sovereign nations. I think there's 347 of them. They are on record in the United Nations, every single one of them broken. How come on the Christian side, we fight, fight, fight. We're a Christian nation. We're a Christian nation. You guys are, stop oppressing us. All these forefathers were Christians. And I read the scriptures and it's interesting. Like King David, I have such great respect for the Bible. When you start to read it as a marketplace historical document rather than just a religious text, King David who had editorial control over what was in the scriptures, okay? Over the historical document. Tells all of his beauty, all of his great accomplishments, and airs his dirty laundry in front of everybody. I remember when this really hit me, that psalm that when, Paul, when David repents and says, before you and you only have I sinned. And we used to preach that repentance is between you and God. We'd use that passage. Don't tell it to anybody else. And then one of the teachers said, do you realize that that was in the liturgy that was read in every single synagogue regularly? You do not get any more public than that. David made a private confession before God, him and him only, and said it as publicly as you can get. We have to realize that we are this beautiful, beautiful person, but we also have a very, very, very dark past that we have not owned yet. Now, we've made a lot of progress, but we're still fighting over it, just 
And so often when I share this, listen to this statement that I'm saying. People say, oh, that was the past. I'm not talking to you about the past. I'm talking to you about the root of what is happening right now. Okay? I love what Dr. Ed Savoso, when he gives an exhortation and the message that he has for the body of Christ today. The answer is not going to come from the right nor, for the, nor from the left. And I believe this is the opportunity we have in the Bay Area to be Christians, but to bridge the gap. The answer is not going to come from the right or from the left. It's not a political solution. It's going to come from above. And folks, we need to read the signs of the times. All right? This whole tension that you feel that is kind of really this anger that is kind of like intensified here because we intensify everything in California. The way this is going, the way this is progressing is towards class warfare. And Ed Savoso, his ministry was birthed out of the dirty war in Argentina. And he says, and he can see things objectively so much better. I love that bicultural aspect of him, okay? And say, folks, I've lived through this before. It was the lead up to the dirty war. Folks, Christians, drop your political, don't, I'm not saying drop your political affiliation. What I'm saying is humble yourself and realize the answer's not going to come from politics, it's going to come from above. And that unity, you need members of the opposite party that look different from you. And you have to listen and humble yourself. And we need to be able to tell the beautiful story of America and also understand and own our dirty side. So, in 10 minutes, the history of California. Who knows who Junipero Serra was? Who's Junipero Serra? I don't know if you'd say he led the Spanish, con the missions, yeah. He was a priest, very, very interesting character. Um, <laughs> there's another side, his birth name, he was a Catholic, okay? He came from Spain, he came in 1792. This was the height of the Inquisition, okay, at that time. The Inquisition, this is an aside, okay? You'll have to look, and I'm just touching on this, so <laughs> don't expect me to explain it too far. The Inquisition was Christians against Jews. So in 1492, um, uh, when Columbus left that same year, uh, Isabel and Ferdinand uh, expelled all the Jews from their, their, their area in Spain. And they gave them about two weeks and said, you can all leave or forfeit all your property. Uh, leave and forfeit all your property or you can convert to Christianity. So many of them converted. They were called conversos, okay? And at the time, initially, it was like, you're our neighbor. We love you. It's all cool. And so just do this thing, okay? So many of them, it was just a superficial conversion because they had lived in that area for, for millennia, really, probably since the time of Solomon, okay? The Jews had had colonies there, and they had lived together peacefully. They expelled them all, Okay, then the Inquisition came later on because these Jews who had been held out were now became conversos and came in, and they thrived and prospered. Well, then the, the, the Inquisition was this very 
evil driven court within the Catholic, well, the church and the government were combined at that time. So it was this court to hunt down hidden Christians. Okay? So there are areas in Spain that to this day, on Saturday, the doors will be open and people will be busy cleaning their houses because they don't want anybody to think that they're not working on the Sabbath. Okay? Junipero Serra was a Catholic priest, but his original name was Sarah E. Abram. He was the child of uh, Conversos. He was an interesting character. He was a very, very charismatic leader. He was crippled, but he walked further around California than Marco Polo walked, walked all over um, the, the, to China and back, okay? He was a dynamic preacher, but his gospel was not a message that we would identify with. In fact, one example of him, he's preaching this charismatic message, but he was an aesthetic. This was big at that time, which believed you should mortify the body so the soul should, could be saved. Okay? So at his altar call, he defrocked himself, which means he took his, his uh, you know, he stripped down to the waist, took a chain or whip, and started beating himself. Mortify the flesh so that the spirit can live. He was not a man of mirth. He did not believe in joy or laughter or anything at all. He was beating himself. This was in a mission in uh, Mexico, I believe, before he came to California, until somebody responded to the altar call, came up, wrestled it from him, and said, it's not the blessed Father who should suffer but me and began to beat himself with everybody watching until he collapsed. And he died a few days later. And that was considered like a positive outcome. This sinner mortified his flesh. Okay? What I believe is that is hurting people hurt people. And that gospel is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a gospel of death. California, before they came was a place of incredible abundance. The first Europeans who came here said that when the flocks scattered, this whole sky would be darkened. There'd be so many birds. You talk to the indigenous people here, they, their culture is much more like the Hawaiian or the Polynesian culture than it is the rest of, because they were separated because of the um, Rocky Mountains, okay? Very little warfare in their history because you war when there's scarcity. There was such abundance over this area that they were very, very peaceful. Okay? You have one of the things is it's hard to identify territorial lines because they'd act like this. One group would come in and they'd live by the bay and they'd fish and there'd be so much abundance and then they'd move out and then another group would come in and do the same thing. Incredible, incredible abundance. They also had extremely sophisticated ways of managing the land. Only they didn't do it the way Europeans did it. Europeans want to build an orchard, so they go, they plow it out, pull out all the trees and the stumps, pull out all the rocks, and then plant trees that are in perfect lines. And they're like, that's stupid. <laughs> Why go to all that effort? The native people developed sophisticated ways to cultivate what was there, okay? And to live with it in different ways. Well, the Europeans came in, they had certain mindsets, and they had this sense of paternalism. 
Like, we're better than these pagan natives. And they didn't see, and many times the thought was, wow, what an abundant land, and what simple, silly people. Okay? And because of that, they didn't, the Spanish didn't actually, they didn't force anyone to convert. The native people converted of their own accord, but it was like the Hotel California. When you check in, you can't check out. So they came and they brought them into this very miserable lifestyle that we brought through this area, forced them to live in an area that wasn't good for them, put them in a place where disease was rampant, um, and they had no immunity because it was like all the plagues that hit Europe over a series of hundreds of years hit them all at once. Plus there was a genetic immunity, uh, a lack of a genetic immunity that made them more vulnerable. Incredible, incredible devastation upon them. Some estimates, some estimates say like over the population, the native population in the Bay Area was over, was, in California was over 10 million uh, natives before the Europeans came. There's no way of having accurate numbers. But regardless, they, they, they were devastated. From Hinipero Serra until 1847, the policy of the Europeans, first the Spaniards, then the Mexicans, uh, when, when Mexico broke free, the, the policy against the native people was, in California, was a nice way of saying it would be unfree labor. The reality is, is they enslaved the native people. Okay? Um, recently, uh, my friend gave me this book, Ben Medell, the native California, and challenged me to read it. It's called An American Genocide, The United States and the California Indian Catastrophe. Okay? So it's great to point the fingers at the Catholics and at the Spanish. Okay? They were so bad. Do you have a question? Mexican. The first Mexican was mixed with Spanish and indigenous, then we created the Mexican. 
Well, I was, um, believe me, I'm an equal opportunity offender, and I was just setting that up for the next phase, okay? <laughs> and this... So one more point I want to make a statement. I, I don't remember what it's called, but um, when Spanish, the, in the Spanish, a lot of indigenous children, something, they never own it. For a lie, they were in debt, and to generation, to their generation. So they say, like, they have this little land, they can work on it, but for... for Generations to generations, that land they need to pay. They never own it. Okay. So we're tempted, and in our history, the history that I want to really think Spain was like the evil people, and then the English were all great. Well, um, the Spaniards were more open, the Spanish were more open. So they talked about it more openly. But at least in California, there was a categorical difference that happened in 1847. Okay? And that's, I'm going to have to go five minutes over, okay, to deal the killer blow. <laughs> I hope you see this in the history, okay, uh, in, in the redemptive light of it, okay? The policy from Hinipro Serra towards the indigenous people of the Europeans was essentially slavery, okay? That changed in 1847 when this became, when the U.S. took this over illegally, okay? What, we, folks, all of us are immigrants. And we stole this land. You can't say it any other way. I mean, that's just history, okay? All right. What happened, um, and this is why this book is so important, because if you had asked me, few months ago, I would have said California is probably just as bad as any other place in the U.S. But the U.S. has two, two root sins, our treatment of the indigenous people and our treatment of, of the African-American slaves that we brought over, okay, that we've never really addressed yet, okay? A while ago, I would have said California is just as bad. Now I understand our slavery and our our policy of slavery against the indigenous people was as bad as the slavery against the African-Americans. Okay? It was slavery. There's no other way to really frame it. All right? It changed from slavery to uh, the term they used at that time was extinction when the U.S. became uh, in charge. And at least under slavery, the indigenous people had some sort of protection. But California, our treatment of the indigenous people, I would submit to you on the record, was categorically the worst treatment of any state in our union. It's like we perfected it and moved towards the West, and every evil, this evil machine kept refining. And by the time it got here, it was all the darkness, but absolutely no restraints. Our policy, this is, that's the premise of this book, that's why it's called an American Genocide. From 1849, at 18, in 1846, the indigenous population had dropped dramatically from whatever it was. Dramatically. I mean, a, a conservative estimate is before the Europeans came, there was 1.5 million people, uh, indigenous people, living in harmony here in the state of California. That's a very conservative estimate. I tend to think that it was probably 10 to 100 times bigger than that. Uh, maybe 100's large, but 10 times larger than that. 
Okay? Regardless, by 1846, that population, this is from 1792, when the first year, no, no, the first Europeans came, so the disease came before they settled here. But the mission was first founded in 1792 to 1846. The population had dropped to 150,000. From 1846 to 1843, the population dropped from 150,000 to 30,000. And this was not an accidental result. This was the result of a policy that under today's definition, genocide is a modern word, under today's definition of genocide, the UN definition of genocide qualifies as a complete intentional genocide. Burnett, the first governor of California, in his inaugural speech to the Senate, said it was the inevitable destiny, I think he called them the savage race, to be uh, uh, replaced by a superior race. He called for their extinction. And he appropriated a million dollars to fund militias. <sighs> These are death squads. These are Hitler's death squads. But when we look at it in Germany, do you know where Hitler got the inspiration for the final solution? The concentration camps to just wipe out all of... Do you know where he got the inspiration from? Andrew Jackson and the, and the, well, the natives call it concentration camps, the Indian reservations. We'll round them all up. We'll put them on reservations. That was Hitler's inspiration. We look at that. Germany's story has been told, okay? When communism came out, ended, and the Soviet Union was dissolved, what happened to Stalingrad? They renamed it. They put back to St. Petersburg and they tore down the statue to Stalin. We go to Fremont, we go to Fremont Peak, we go to Fremont City, we go to Carson Pass. What happened? The reason that population drops so, so is the result of an intentional, systematic process to exterminate them, to kill them. Okay? The tra and because we wanted the gold. We wanted the gold. And the process, it all lined up. But, for example, in 1846, Fremont is over here illegally. This is a guy who we esteem and think is great. I mean, we name a city after him, okay? Fremont was over here illegally, some say under secret orders, because he knew Amer America was about to take over California, and he saw the opportunity for political advancement. And there was a rumor that a native tribe was gathering together. This was uh, um, on the warpath. And he and his group of militia, tough guys, mountain men, armed to the teeth. I think there was about 90 of them. And these guys were tough guys. They were like the frontier version of commandos. Okay? They say, okay, we're going to go take care of them. They go up and they find this tribe, on the, this war tribe, at the Sacramento Valley, up, which is up near Redding. And they're camped there between the mountains and the river, okay? And they're certainly on the war tribe, and they brought all their wives and their children with them, okay? There was no war tribe. You don't bring, there was no war party. You don't bring women and children to a war party, okay? This was, just a, this was just a tribe out there doing their thing. 
And they say, well, we found them. We'll take care of it. They lined up with their long-range sniper rifles that are out of range of the little bows that the native people have and just boom, 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 just start picking them off. After that, they come in with their short-range guns and their bowie knives. Um, none of his party were killed, and the estimates, out of the thousand, there was a handful of survivors. Probably 900 of them were killed. They were trapped between the mountains. It was a horrible, horrible uh, slaughter. He was, never he was reprimanded for other things, but not for that. That was publicly reported on, and the reports said it was really brutal. And they didn't like, like it, but they normalized it. And that set the stage, and that's what happened on and on and on. The remarkable thing, and actually, th this book is a hard read, but if you want to know what's happening in California, uh, it's probably a must read. We completely annihilated them. Not completely. 30,000 left. They're still here. The actually remarkable story is that they survived us. It's interesting, though, when you look at the pain of paradise burning, why did we come here? Why did we do it? To me, the tragedy is not just the slaughter. It's also the stupidity of it. The picture I get is we are so hungry for the gold. It's like we ran around wanting to pick up pennies, and we trampled and destroyed $100 bills in the process. Because the, we thought the value was the gold. We're so greedy. But the real value was the people. And what the destiny of this region is, what I believe the destiny of this region is, is to cultivate the people, to fulfill their destiny, to mercy come together for this mercy gift to be released, for the mercy and the prophet to come together in a proper alignment, to receive it, to receive holiness, to receive the prophet that our, our nation is, this incredible prophet, but we are so broken that we're just destroying it. We're, 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 you know, for all the good we do, we're destroying ourselves. I believe that we're meant to marry those together, and our destiny is for healing, a place of healing. But we wanted those pennies so much, we just destroyed the $100 bills. Because what God really values is the people. That's what he gave his son for. So, what do we do? I've already gone seven minutes over, and to be honest, I just know we have to tell this story, and it begins with us. We have to own it. Because it's a beautiful, beautiful story, but if we don't tell it, Honda had a horrible genocide. Part of the healing is coming out into the open and telling it. We, as American people, are so able to point out the faults in others, but unable to see them in ourselves. And we have to be able to say, yes, we're this beautiful people with this incredible destiny. What God has done through this nation is incredible. When I hear this, this doesn't make me respect America any less. I talk to Vietnamese. I talk to Africans. I talk to immigrants. My wife is an immigrant. She's from Portugal. I love this nation. It's incredible what, what the Lord has done here. But we also have this dirty, dark history. And if we keep covering it up, we're going to be stuck in it. And we as the church are called to be mediators. And I believe we have an opportunity right out of here. I believe even Gateway. I believe Gateway can become one of the most influential churches in our nation and in the world. 
I believe the Lord wants to do something here. We have to embrace it, and it begins with us. So, I covered a portion of what I want to cover. But uh, why don't we just close in prayer? All right? So, Father, I just lay this before you, Lord. Lord, we just say California and America is that beautiful, beautiful thing, Lord. Father God, and we also say that where there's life, there's hope. We say that the, the, the indigenous people, the Indians of California, are a beautiful people. And I believe that out of this area, their story is going to be told, and we're going to stand together. Lord, I believe stuff is going to be prototyped right out of this congregation and others, Lord, outside of the four walls, Lord, that you are going to transform Silicon Valley completely. And out of that, Lord God, Lord, our nation... Father, we come before you, Lord, and we pray for those in paradise, Father. I believe you are going to anoint the church so much that in the same way that Jesus was able to rebuke the storms, when fires come, we're going to be able to pray and we're going to be able to call forth a rainstorm and stop them, Lord God. Father, I believe you're going to heal the land. Lord, I believe you want to rebuild paradise, Lord God. Lord, for the kingdom of God. Father, I believe the best is going to rally out of us, Lord God, and it's going to be a model all across California, Lord, of the ecclesia, of the body of Christ arising. Lord, I believe all of creation is longing for the manifestation of the sons of God. And I believe these seeds that we've seen shared here, Lord, I believe that families are going to be restored, that extraordinary signs, wonders, and miracles are going to happen. But Lord, we just come before you and say we are a proud people, and all we can do is humble ourselves before you and say, cleanse us, cleanse us. Let us know your truth. Let us encounter your truth and set us free. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Yeah. All right. Well, God bless you.